How you doing? All right, welcome, welcome. We're going to have a good time. Welcome everybody online. We're doing this brand new series on prayer. And I, I mean, I get the heart. I don't know if you know that song. I get the heart of that. And I, I hope you do too, because sometimes prayer can become plastic and it become something for, you know, in, in this weird category of this super religious. And, and really, it's, it's really something that comes from our gut. And as the song says, in the end, everybody prays. Everyone prays. And uh, prayer is not for special people or certain people or certain techniques. Jesus said, you know, don't be a hypocrite, you know. It's not about a show. It's just honesty with God. That's all it is. You know, we all, we're all hypocrites to a degree. Is this true? We're all hypocrites to some degree. How many of you changed your attitude from the time you were in the car to when you walked into church? I mean, change the tone of voice from the way you're talking to the kids to, oh, hi, brother so-and-so, right? And, you know, maybe we should just be a little more honest all the time. You know, when the kids are fighting, you don't say, stop fighting, we're going to church. You say, keep it up so that God knows how to deal with you, right? Or, you know, but we have this thing in us that we want to pretend and I think one of the things that prayer can do is it can, it can change us. And this is what we're going to talk about in the series. Um... And so for people that look at it in this super religious way, why Jesus said don't be like the hypocrites who pray as a show is because, think about it, when other people see this, it turns them off. To me, if that song that Anna sang was anything, it was about, you know, people get turned off because they see religion and prayer as a show rather than a sincerity. It's that person's journey that goes, but, but in the end, I'm going to pray. You know, I'm just going to throw it out there. It's turned me off. I turned my back on it. But down deep inside, there's something in every one of us. It says in the scripture that God puts eternity in the hearts of men, right? There's something in each and every one of us that says, I need to reach out. That life's bigger than me. I need to connect. Some people, prayer actually just becomes a joke. You know, um, if, if kind of a little time out, if you can turn the house lights up just a little bit so I can see if anyone's sleeping or actually awake or, <laughs> hey, there you are. All right. A little more would be great if you don't mind. All right. I just wanted to see that. Yeah. They're okay. They, they stayed. All right. Um, that prayer is like, you know, a joke. Now, um, a few days ago, I was asked by a friend of mine to, to be in a, a golf tournament, and I'm not a good golfer. And actually, I'm a really bad golfer. And I didn't want to go because I said, I'm, I'm a bad golfer. And he goes, that's actually good. You have a high handicap, so you can help me get points, right? And um, my friend uses me for a high handicap, you know? And uh, so we went out, we were playing, and, and of course, I'm just spraying them all over, and I'm in the woods and the creek and everywhere. And uh, finally, we got to this par three, and uh, I hit a great shot. Now, by the time we got to the par three, the two guys we were playing against uh, found out I was a pastor, right? And so you know how this goes, right? One of them happens to be sitting very close to me now, right? And, and he says, he's, I hit a good shot on the par three, and one of them cracks a joke. What's the joke? Oh, pastor, did you what? Did you say a prayer, right? So the... And it's a good joke, right? And the problem is prayer, right? Now, to a lot of us, it fits in that category. We all laughed and it was funny at the time. But is prayer a joke? I mean, is it? 
Speaking of jokes, you heard about uh, Colonel Sanders went to visit the Pope. Did you hear about this? Colonel Sanders went to visit the Pope, and, uh, and uh, he, he was trying to get the, the, the daily prayer switched from our daily bread to our daily chicken, right? And, uh, and, and so he had, a, he had a, a million dollars, and he went to the Pope, and he said, look, we can make a million-dollar donation to the Catholic Church. And the Pope said, you know, I'm sorry. This is the daily prayer. This has been the daily prayer for 2,000 years. We just can't change the prayer, you know. And uh, so Colonel Sanders went back dejected, got with his team, and they said, you know, we should up the ante to 10 million bucks. So he scheduled another meeting with the Pope, and, and he, he went back and he, he talked to the Pope, and he said, look, I, I know I kind of came in low. And I, he says, our, our, our executive team talked, and we want to offer you $10 million to change the prayer from our daily bread to our daily chicken. And the, and the Pope said, look, this is sacred. This came from the lips of Jesus himself. I mean, there's no way we could change this prayer. I'm sorry. Colonel Sanders was dejected. He went back to his executive team, and they said, did you get the... He said, no, nah, I struck out. They said, let's swing for the fence. $100 million. Comes back to the Pope. He gets a third meeting, and he says to the Pope, he says... Look, our team wants to offer you a hundred million dollars. Goes back to his executive team to find out the results of the meeting. You know, and uh, they, he's working with the Pope, and the, and and uh, they're, they're going back and forth a hundred million dollars. Finally, the Pope has a meeting with the Cardinals, and he says to the Cardinals, he gets them all together, and he says. Guys, I have good news and bad news, right? He says, the good news is Kentucky Fried Chicken just donated $100 million to the Catholic Church. And uh, he says, the bad news is we lost the Wonder Bread account. (laughs) Something for everyone this morning. If... (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) Jesus was trying to teach us something. What is prayer? How does it work? And he said, don't pray as a show. You're not going to impress God. And it's interesting that when we start to think about it, that we start to get these elaborate things going, right? These elaborate phrases and words, and they don't really come from our heart. There's a great line in the Bruce Almighty movie where he talks about Jim Carrey's, you know, playing this role and and he's with God. He starts saying all these flowery words about praying for world peace. And he says, no, come on. What do you really care about? I don't think we can even begin to pray until we can begin to be honest with ourselves about what we really care about. What do you really care about? Prayer really starts from sincerity. And prayer goes from sincerity and from our heart. And what it does, one of the things that prayer does is it starts to make us ask ourselves, what do we really care about? You can only fake that so much. For only so long, you can, you can try to pretend that, to God that you care about all these things that you don't really care about. But what prayer does is it opens your heart to what really, really matters to you. And then in verse 7 of Matthew 6, it says, 
when you prayed. So again, Jesus is telling us what not to do. Don't fake. Don't pretend. Don't. And then he says this, don't keep on babbling. In other words, it's not about the repetition of their many words. Sometimes people think prayer is about impressing God with how many words or the formula or how many people. None of this is really what impresses God. None of this is actually what prayer is all about. You think that you'll be heard because of all the words that you say. And you know what he says? Because God, ready, knows what you need even before you ask, which is going to bring us smack dab into one of the big questions about prayer. Ready? Of course, if God already knows what I need before I ask, then why are we doing this in the first place? Are you with me? You can match, you can, I'm going to give you a juxtaposition here. And the other one is in John's gospel where Jesus says, ask whatever you want, right? In my name, and you will what? Receive it. So what is prayer? Is it a, on the one end of the spectrum, is it a joke? Is it literally a joke? Is it like the rest of the world who's watching you pray like this? Look at this, look at this moron. Or on this end of the spectrum, people believe that it's magic. You say certain words and certain formulas and you get in the right position and then things happen. The problem with this end of the spectrum is many people have done this. You did all the words you were told to do, you did them at the right time, and you didn't get the result that you, told, you were told you were going to get. So I'm going to fight for something more in the middle called mystery. Prayer is not magic. It's not a magic wand. God's not a genie. You just rub the lamp and he gives you whatever you want. But it's a mystery. And I know this is frustrating for a lot of people because we love to know the answers. We love to hold on to them and tell people, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And I've been around people like that. And they, they will get up and they're the ones at the prayer that have all these things to say and tell people why their prayers weren't answered. Have you ever been to one of those small groups when one person was telling another person why their prayer wasn't answered? Why? Because if you have this simplistic view, the magic view of prayer, you say these certain words and these things happen. And if they don't happen, whose fault is it? The person who was praying. They didn't pray right. They didn't say in Jesus' name. They didn't, you know, we were in the right position. Whatever their thing was. And so this other person is telling them, this is why. But maybe the answer is deeper than that. Maybe the answer is, we don't know. Oh, you didn't come all the way to church to hear that, did you? You want certainty. This is, I want to know exactly that if you say this and this and this, then this is going to happen. Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said this? Now, 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part. Then we will know fully. If the Apostle Paul, who had put up there pretty high, anybody with me? No one. Okay, I thought I was doing good today. The Apostle Paul, who I'd say, okay, if he says he knows in part, that means what? There's a lot he doesn't know. There is a part he doesn't know. A small part, a big part. He didn't say we know in three quarters. He goes, we know a part. I don't know what part, but it seems small to me. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I think there's a lot more that we don't yet know. 
I'm reading a book, uh, it's called Our Mathematical Universe right now, and the guy's going through the history of cosmology, of how we've changed what we know about our universe. And this guy's at the head of his field, at the, at the front, at the peak of knowledge, and it is stunning what we're learning in the last 30 years about our universe. It just keeps exploding in size. And it's not that it's really changing in size, it's what? We only knew in part. Most of you that went to school when I did, you would completely flunk out of science because you'd be given answers that are 30 years old and they, they, would be, they wouldn't be valid anymore. But we only know a little bit. What does that do? This is what's so important. What the mystery of prayer does is it lets God be, ready? God and not you. Because if you were God, you would tell the words and then he would do the, you'd be the puppet master. Do this, God. Do that, God. Now, everybody stay with me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push on a couple of you that you aren't going to like this part, right? You prayed for little Johnny, right, to make first string. Pastor Chris, just want to get the church together, get everyone just a moment of silence, and let's just pray for little Johnny to make first string, Right? And over at the Lutheran church, they're praying for Billy to get what? Third string. Huh? And this was one of the first prayers that came into me. I mean, because people ask these kinds of things and they say, well, this is what I want. And, and God should give me what I want because I learned these little verses and God should give me what I want. And what we learn is that the absurdity of this way of looking at prayer breaks down very quickly. Because then we can get all kinds of wars about our church can pray better than your church and look at our kids first string and yours is third. This is, I don't think, what God was talking about. Getting God to do what we want. Someone came to me last week and said, well, does that mean that I shouldn't pray for someone else? No, of course it doesn't mean that. It's a mystery. What means more to you at a time of hurt and pain in your life than someone else praying with you or for you, putting their hand on you when you're in a hospital bed? I do this all the time with people. But there's a, there, is a, there is a zone that I can't go into. I don't know the mysteries of God. Paul said we know in part. So I pray for the best. I ask for the best. I hope for the best. I wish for the best. But I don't know. Perhaps, are you ready? I'm going to throw a perhaps at you. Perhaps the primary purpose of prayer is not to change God. Perhaps the primary purpose of prayer is to change what? Us. C.S. Lewis talked about this. Maybe it changes us. How, Chris? Well, I don't know exactly. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts. But first of all, let's talk about the fact that we all need some changing. Anybody here need a little bit of changing? Okay. Um, I, I was telling you this earlier, how you and I, we have, we have mental patterns. So we repeat things. And when we try to break these patterns, we struggle. So like I was telling you about how bad my golf swing is. They say you have muscle memory. So you just keep doing the same wrong thing over and over. And then if you have a bad swing, you do it harder, which means it goes further out of bounds. This is true. Ask anyone. It's a bad golfer like me. They'll just do it harder. Do the wrong thing harder. So the other day, Vicky and I were driving over uh, to, to uh, a friend's house here, 
the church. They invited us over for something, and uh, we got in the car. And as we were driving down the road here, I turned to come here to my office. Anybody done this before? And she goes, no, 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 we're not going there. We're going to a friend. Okay, all right. This is a true story. We made the curve around Pontiac Trail. I tried to turn left again here on Maple. This is true. From Ladd Road to, to Maple, I did it twice. Anybody with me? She was polite. No, we're not going there. Oh, where's my head? Anybody? I'm not even done yet, right? I get up past Wolverine Lake where one of my buddies lives who we go wakeboarding with. I start turning on his street. She goes, um, we're not going there. Is anybody with me? Does anybody have some change? I know it's more me than you, but does anyone have some changing to do? We have these patterns, the way we act, the way we believe, the way we speak, the way we deal with other people, right? Along comes Jesus and teaches us something. We call prayer. Prayer is essentially, are you ready? Requesting, interacting. Now, what happens if you're a boss at your place of work and you tell your employees what to do? Well, can do that. that. That works sometimes. Sometimes they need to know what to do. Sometimes they already know what to do, but you just like to what? Tell them what to do. Um, anybody ever worked for somebody that was always telling them what to do and they already knew how to do it? Does this, does this do well for the relationship? Usually there's a little strain there. What, what corporate leaders are learning and talking about all the time is you don't demand people to do things, you what? Guide them. You coach them. You explain to them. You let them do things within their own parameters. But you request. So you come to them and yes, this is their job. So you have you're, you're right. You can demand it. But if you just request and say, you know what? When you pack this, could you make sure you do this? That's one way of saying it. The other way of saying it is, I'm the boss and every time you walk in this door, this is the way you're going to pack this box. Is anybody with me? Same thing, what? Two completely different approaches. One is the request. Other is the demand. Now just think for a minute. What does request do? Request, even if you're the boss and the employee, request sort of for a minute puts you at the same level. We're the same. I'm not here telling you what to do. I'm, you know what? Could... And, do you see, and then they may at that point say, oh, but you know, did you know, you know, we're missing this kind of tape, and therefore, and all of a sudden, oh, there's what? Interaction. There's give and take. Prayer changes the person that you are. This is way deeper than, listen, this is way deeper than did you get all the things on your shopping list from God. Prayer changes the person that you are. All of a sudden, it doesn't just bleed. What you are with your friends and your employees and your coworkers is who you are with God. They are different. And that's part of the hypocrisy thing Jesus talked about. If you go to work and you start yelling at people and bossing people and doing this and demanding, that that's the same thing you do at home and it's the same thing that you do with God. But if you are the requesting kind, and the older you get, you start to learn, it's much better to be a requester. You know what? 
all business leadership is going this direction. It's much better to do this. It changes you. If you come home in your old school Archie Bunker, if you're old enough, you know what I'm talking about. If you're young enough, you don't. You just start demanding your slippers and your easy chair and your cigar and whatever else. And you're from this school of life. And look, it breeds a certain kind of person. And here's what it breeds. It breeds people do what I tell them to do. And so here's the kicker. Here is the kicker. For so many people, prayer, the way they've twisted it, actually makes them more selfish. This is why Jesus started with this. Before I even teach you how to pray, i got to teach you what not to do. And it's what everybody's doing. Most of the stuff, listen here, look. Most of the stuff that I hear today related to prayer is this. It's prayer requests for stuff that I want. It's 99.9% of it. I want this, and then I want this, and could you pray for this, and could you make sure that God does this for me, and that for me, and this for me. It's about getting things that I want. Now, some of those things are desperately important, and believe me, do we pray. So-and-so's sick, so-and-so's in the hospital, so-and-so's going through this. But it goes quickly from there, right? To, you know, I want my kid to get in the best school. Okay, I don't want them to get in the worst school, and so where's the line? Are you with me? Prayer has to be more more than us getting all the stuff that we want in life. Perhaps it's the prayer of Jesus in the garden that does it best for us, that shows us the mystery and, if I could say, the dichotomy of what prayer really is. Because Jesus, fully human, is about to suffer and about to die, and like any one of us humans would pray, pray, get everyone praying, that I don't suffer, that I don't take this cup. The cup represents suffering. Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to go through this. That's the natural human prayer. And I think that's only right when people suffer. We would pray they don't suffer. When you suffer, you pray that you don't suffer. So in the human side, it was all this. But fully human, also divine. Jesus says, nevertheless. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Nevertheless. We've got to weave that one into our prayers, don't we? One, two, three. Nevertheless. I think the first part is good. I think you should ask why, because I think it unburdens you. As we said last week, cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. Every one of us has cares, and everyone throws their cares on somebody. Prayer is learning to throw them on God, if you could say it. And so this is what I want, and this is what's bothering me, and this is what's troubling me. And you keep going and going and going, and it's almost like a cleansing. Ask, if I could say, ask the real... Um, I would say learned or wise spiritual teachers. And they would say, it isn't about getting and counting which ones have been answered. It's a cleansing of your soul. It's a, it, it, you unburden all this stuff. And then it says, nevertheless. Now, you can't just say nevertheless in a perfunctory way. It's almost like you have to get to the point. Sometimes it would be three years till you get to the nevertheless. 
Sometimes it'll be a month. Sometimes it'll be a week of praying. And you resign yourself to nevertheless not, do you know this, do you know this part? Not my will, but what? Your will. Not my will. Well, what, what, think, what do you know? All you know is your will. That's all you, that's, that all is really can enter into your mind and your thinking and your rationale is, this is what I want. So, of course, what you want, you're going to pray about. But getting from, I want this and I want out of that and I don't want this to happen to me, and getting to the point where you can say, nevertheless, I surrender to the mystery of God. Not what I want. Your will be done. Evidently, God was going to use this suffering of Jesus for a greater good. What we have a hard time with, why I call it the mystery of prayer, is because we can't always see past what we're going through. I can't see past it. That's not a fault of yours. That's a reality of all of us. I can't see past this. I don't know what's around the corner. And so all I can pray for is what's in front of me. But you get to get to the point in your life because some of you are stuck here in what you want. And you're just stuck there. And God's trying to move you to say, yes, pray for it. Yes, unburden your heart. But you've got to get to the point where you say, nevertheless, not my will. I'm not driving this ship. Prayer, ready, is moving you from playing God. Playing God with control. That's basically getting everybody to do what you want. Getting God, getting the people around you, get it. This is what I want. To surrender. <laughs> surrender? If you're American, that's like the least thing that you would ever think of doing. There isn't a movie made about surrender, right? It's all about conquer. It's all about control. It's all about winning. But really, you get to the point where you surrender. This is the gospel, by the way. It's in losing that we win. It's in surrendering that we overcome. What's the cross about? The whole story of the cross is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, it's an eventual surrender, It's a struggle for Jesus to surrender. It's a struggle for the disciples to allow him to surrender. The whole thing's a struggle. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you're making a business plan up there in Upper Galilee, you don't draw it up this way. And then eventually, you know, we'll get the movement going and then he'll die. The gospel turns all of our normal thinking upside down. And now... By surrendering, we overcome. I know, I'm, trust me, I'm so tempted to tell you what you see advertised everywhere. Prayer that really works. Prayer that gets you what you want. Prayer that, you know, and then I, you, you, you go in the seminar and this pastor's telling you this and that, and then you write it all down. It's a secret formula. And it, 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 eventually it just disappoints. Why? Because it's centered in you. Real prayer is very, very simple. It's surrender. It's getting to the garden, getting through all the stuff that you want, and to the point where you can say, nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. If we could, uh, if I could guide you in a way of praying today, what I would guide you in is finding a quiet place. Maybe it's on your drive. I, I, I couldn't encourage you. Please listen to me. If you have a commute and you have traffic and you crank on talk angry radio and you say to yourself, why am I so mad by the time I get to work and then even madder when I get... Are you listening to me? Why not? If you have a 30-minute commute, why not turn on some, some music that's uplifting and start to refresh and renew your mind and think about good things and allow the presence of God to be felt in your car. I don't know where you would find that little place. I think it's important. And it's not about trying so hard to get with God, to get what you want, but it's just learning to become aware of God's presence in your everyday life. I would guide you to stop thinking and trying and trying to work God onto your side. People think of prayer like it's tug of war, like you're trying to talk God into something. Do you remember the, the, the story Jesus told about the judge? And the person goes to this unjust judge, and the judge says, this widow says, go away, go away. And then she comes back, and it's like, because she wouldn't go away, he finally gave her what she wanted. And I've heard people explain this parable to say, that means you've got to just keep trying to get from God until he finally gives in. Now, parents, truth be told, how many, this worked on you. I mean, they just wore you out. Come on, put your hand up and confess. It'll feel good. They wore you out, right? And so we have this idea that, well, we'll just wear God down. I'll just, I'll just keep coming and coming and coming. And it's about the repetition. I'll just wear God out. My mom said, me and my brother, we could just wear her down growing up. We want something, want this bike. You start asking, and then you just ask and ask and ask and bug and bug. Anybody? And finally, it's just like, just go away. So everybody knew this story when Jesus told it about the judge and this widow who wasn't. And he didn't say it, so you'd say, now you just, because God will just. He's saying, this is exactly not how God is. God isn't a, it's not a tug of war. That if you just keep on, you're finally. But what it is, is some kind of. Of surrender. Which is why, listen, listen, which is why Paul then went on to say, when you pray and you make these requests and all these things to God with thanksgiving, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. You can come away and say, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know it's in good hands. And you, you're, you start to live your life with a sense of trust in God. I hope you caught earlier in the service when we sang about going out on the ocean, out on the waters. And it says, there I find you in the mystery. And I think sometimes what we've missed is we've tried to find God behind a curtain 
or at a church or in a certain ritual. And where we find God is in the mystery bigger than it all. As we go through the series, I have time to go into it today. But we're going to be talking about what we think about when we address God. Because your mental picture of God has a lot to do with what you think about prayer. But the problem is a lot of us at at this thing, we do think of God as some kind of being who's up on a throne. And if we're just good enough, we do the right things that he's going to finally say yes. I want to try to shift you from a prayer list to a prayer life. We're everything. That's why Paul said we pray without ceasing. Because everything is about this prayer. We have, we have a dog at the house, Nico. And uh, so we started with, you know, certain rooms Nico can't go to. Do you guys do this with your dog? Certain rooms you can go, certain rooms you can't go. So my study at home was an off-limits place for Nico, right? But, you know, it's a golden retriever. He's a golden retriever. And, you know, golden retrievers, like, they just want to be where the party is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you have a golden, they just, there's people that they just want to come up and they just want to love on you and, and have you love on them. And so Nico, if I'm in my office studying at home, he just comes right to the door, the threshold. The door's usually open, but he just stops right there. He just looks at me. Can I come in? And he knows he can't come in, but he just says, I, I want to come in. And, you know, I feel like, like, I'm, like I'm, I'm this bad image of God with, like, the golden scepter. And the, yes, you may enter my dog, you know. And then he comes in, and he just wags his tail. He's so happy that he got to come in. I got to come in. And he's like wagging his tail. He's like, this just scratched me. This is the best, right? I got to come in. It's been a few months. He doesn't knock anymore. Anybody knows? He doesn't knock. What I'm trying to say is God's not behind a curtain. God's not looking for you to knock. God's not looking for special recipes or special people. God's just looking for you to be you. And talk to him in the simplest way that you know. And he hears. He's not someone that you've got to twist his arm but there does come a point where you have to surrender to the mystery. And sometimes we have to say, you know, maybe there's more than I'll ever know. At least on this side, as they say. Now we know in part. He says, now we see in part. Then we will know fully. Then we will see clearly. Clearly. 